Good morning. Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 29. It's located on page 866 in your pew Bibles. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. All in in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Our second scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. And this is located on page 1,499 in your pew Bibles. The Baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. God, we're hungry for a word from you. Speak to us today, but give us the ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are open to receive you this day. We remember that this is the day that you have made, and this is the day that you want to transform each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you remember the day you were married? Okay, I'm going to tell you something. I should see more hands going up than I saw go up. I don't know what was happening when you were married, but how many of you remember when you were married? Okay. How many of you remember perhaps the day that a child was born? (laughs) Somebody just said no. Yeah. All right. (laughs) How many of you maybe remember the day that um, a child left for college or maybe you went for college? How many of you remember the day that um, maybe you started a job that you really, really liked? How many of you remember the day that you were baptized? A whole lot fewer hands went up when I asked that, right? 
You know, in the Methodist tradition, if you grew up in the Methodist church, or maybe a Catholic, or Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, it's very likely that you were baptized as an infant. So you probably don't remember when you were baptized. I grew up Baptist. And one of the distinguishing features, say, of the Baptist church, which has the word baptism in the church, and say Methodists or Lutherans or Presbyterians, is that um, Baptists, uh, folks reach a certain age when they consent to baptism, and in these other traditions we baptize infants, which is a practice that goes back to the ancient church, to the earliest church, this practice of of baptizing infants. So I remember, having been raised Baptist and having been, I think, nine or ten years old when I was baptized, I remember when I was baptized, and I remember being terrified, being dunked under the water. And I thought about that this morning as, as I was getting ready for worship, and I thought, man, uh, there's probably not a better reaction to baptism than being terrified, because it should terrify each one of us, um, dying to ourself and rising with Christ. The implications of that are terrifying. It's a particular malady, I think, of of Western culture that we tend to put stock and to emphasize things that are true that we can either remember or get our minds around. And the baptism of infants, particularly if you can't remember it, that can be hard to really hold on to and grasp the truth of it, but here is a biblical reality. Are you ready? Just because you may not remember something or understand it doesn't make it any less true. There are things that are true and real. I dare say more real than the place that we're in and the people around us. There are things that are more real that we just can't grasp, that are a mystery to us. It doesn't make it any less real. Today we have the opportunity to think about baptism. The baptism of the Lord, the the Sunday that follows Epiphany, every year in the church calendar, where we hear the story that all four Gospels record, which should clue us into the import of this event. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record in some form or fashion, Jesus going down to the Jordan and being baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Now, if you recall from Advent, John the Baptist is a figure that appears in that season, preparing the way for the Lord. He's the the bridge between the Old Testament prophetic tradition, those who uh, talked about the coming of the Messiah and looked for that day when God himself would enter history and save his people, and the New Testament era with the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist bridges that gap. He stands there, and he prepares the way for the Messiah. Did you know that in the early church, there were segments of the early church that were scandalized by Jesus' baptism? Let's set the stage for Jesus' baptism for just a moment and examine why this may have been a a difficult thing for members in the early church. Jesus goes down to the Jordan River. John the Baptist is baptizing. and, And our gospel writers indicate that John's baptism serves a particular purpose. It's a little different than, say, when, when I was baptized in the Baptist church or when any one of you maybe uh, uh, were baptized as an infant or when Amanda and I had our, our twins baptized. We have some things from their baptism here that we're going to explain in just a little bit. John's baptism was preparatory. 
It prepared people for the one who was coming and what he would do. And and a key feature that we find of John's baptism and the inauguration of Jesus' ministry is this emphasis on repentance. On repentance. John called people to come to repent, and they would repent through the waters of baptism. And Jesus, after he's baptized, what does he say in Mark chapter 1? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repentance factors in to this baptism. Repentance means uh, to turn from the direction you're going, to cease one particular orientation, and to turn and go another way. So it's a complete change, a complete adjustment, a, a reorientation to all of life in body, mind, and soul. So John is calling people to come be baptized for repentance. And Jesus comes down to be baptized. Now, if you listen carefully to what Brielle read for us, and I think that was on page 1499, you said, so you can go back and read it and look very carefully. If you read carefully that section, we get the clear feeling that John himself is scandalized by this. He's shocked. Why is Jesus coming to him to be baptized. There are certain claims about Jesus that the church down through time has affirmed. And there are certain claims about Jesus that the church has said, uh, these are not true things. This is not true about Jesus. One of the things that the church has affirmed down through the ages is that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was sinless and perfect. Amen? We confess that and we believe that. If Jesus was not sinless, then Jesus can't be our Savior because he would need a Savior just as much as any one of us. Jesus is sinless and perfect. And no doubt John knew this as the the Messiah, the one who would come. And so John is wondering, wow, Jesus doesn't have anything to repent from. Why is he coming to me to be baptized? There's so much that we could pull from this scripture and think about with baptism, but I want us to just think of one thing this morning. I believe that in this story of Jesus' baptism, we get a very clear picture of this. That Jesus identifies with each and every one of us. One of the reasons, one of the ramifications of Jesus' baptism is that he identifies with each one of us. When, when, when John would have called people down to be baptized, they would have been standing together along the banks of the river. John would have called them in, and they would have been baptized. So can you imagine for a moment, Jesus joining this line of other people, standing shoulder to shoulder with them, who had come down to be baptized. People who were seeking to repent, People who knew that their lives were messy and messed up, that they were sinful. And yet here, this sinless one, this perfect one, the one who would die for the sins of the world, comes and stands shoulder to shoulder with these other imperfect, messed up, dirty people. Jesus identifies with each one of us. Yes, he's sinless. Yes, he's perfect. Does he need to be baptized and to repent? No. But Jesus, in those waters of baptism, 
enters into the human experience, identifies with each one of us, and is baptized by John. See, friends, this is one of the distinguishing features of what makes the Christian faith unique from everything else. We're not given a a set of moral principles to follow or, or a moral teacher to whom we should adhere. We're not given ideas about God. We're given God in the flesh, the very person who came down into the mess of our lives and stands with us right in it. While so many other religions and worldview offer this orientation of people reaching up to God, striving to attain, trying to reach some state of spiritual perfection, Christianity says, no, you can't do that. Any attempt at that is fruitless. God reaches down and comes into our world and stands with us. Imagine the banks of the Jordan River, muddy and messy, dirty, Isn't that an apt metaphor for life? People just lined up in the muck and the mire. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't stand apart from that. He's not distant from the difficulties of life. Jesus comes down and he enters right into it. And in being baptized, identifies with what it means to be human. At the same time, retaining his sinless perfection comes down into our world, stands with us. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a loved one who's trapped in addiction. Guess what? Jesus is standing right there with them. Maybe you're here this morning and you're dealing with a health crisis that you don't know what to do about. Guess what? Jesus is sitting right next to you. Maybe you're here this morning and and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because you have to have a difficult conversation at work. Jesus is right there with you. Friends, that's one of the most beautiful things that Christianity can can remind us of, that we can carry with us. That wherever you are, because of Jesus, he's right there with you. He's identifying with you. He knows what it's like to laugh and to grieve, to sorrow, to be joyful. He's right there with you.